0: You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests is famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host,
1: Eric Huber. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Matt Barnes. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on. So, Always like to start from the beginning. Like, you know, when you were two, three years old, did someone just stick a basketball in your hand and that was it? You started playing right away, like barely could walk. Like, where take me back to where you started?
2: I was actually a football kid. Uh, I yeah. grew up playing football and watched my dad play a little bit of semi pro football, street football. Nice. Football was uh, my first sport. It was actually my best sport. Picked up basketball. Started taking that more serious, probably, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, because, you know, I I started getting a little bit bigger. But I was always a football player at heart. And where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I was born in uh, San Jose, then moved to Sacramento at about nine. So then I was in Sacramento from about nine to 18 until I went to UCLA. Uh
1: Cool. And so as a kid, was your dad like super involved, got you, you know, playing football, was teaching you? Like, how was it?
2: Uh, Not necessarily. You know, I was he was there, but you know, busy working and doing other things. So it was really just, you know, this is back in the early eighties. So mm-hmm. not gonna wait to get outside every day. So there was a group of neighborhood kids and we would play everything from football to tag to wrestle to nice. lighting up fireworks and burning down the backfield. <laughs> we were just, you know, rambunctious uh, kids back in the early eighties.
1: Nice. Got it. And and so you said sixth, seven, eighth grade, you got bigger and so that be basketball you got taller, I assume so yeah. started being able to play basketball.
2: Yeah. I, ended up, I ended up, you know, being, I played uh, football, baseball, basketball, and did actually a little bit of track in high school, uh, wow. all American in football and uh, basketball, and just decided, you know, I was recruited uh, heavily for football along with basketball, but just going into college decided that there'd probably be a little bit more longevity, content, considering I was six 6'8", uh, in yeah. basketball over football. Got it. And so at what
1: point, like, when did you hit eight? at what point did you go, oh, I could do this for a career, not just like um, fun?
2: I went my eighth to ninth grade summer. I went from like five ten to six four, so kind of tried to catch up, you know, catch my body. I was, you know, growing awkward and kind of put <laughs> that growing spurt. And then um, from freshman year to senior, I went from six four to six eight, so just kind of gradually uh, yep. over a four year period, grew four more inches.
1: Yeah, got it. And so, what age were you like? This is like I could go to the NBA. This could be a real uh, career.
2: I, I knew that I was going to go pro in something. I didn't know if it was going to be. Mm-hmm. football basketball but like i said i was an all-american and both really loved football to death uh but yep. like i said chose that longevity but you know everyone thinks that growing up you know obviously you know you can't tell a kid that's you know striving in, in high school or, or trying to go to college that they're not going pro so you know i was just like everyone else and uh it didn't really actually turn into reality until i actually got there you know i had a solid college career obviously uh-huh. um, but I was someone who was drafted, then cut, so I had to go to the minor leagues for the first season. So until I actually stepped foot in that NBA NBA game and really got to do some work, you know, like I said, I was I was just like everyone else, dreaming to make the NBA.
1: Yeah. And so, and how many years did you spend in college? Did you play all four?
2: I would, yeah. So I, I I was I played uh, three years. The, was going to leave after my third year. Ended up getting hurt that summer. Came back for my senior year. Ended up being a second round pick. And then you know that's back when guys you know it was it was normal to go to school for three or four years. That's kind of just what the yeah. standard was. And then was drafted in 0-2, cut uh, that first season. So I played in the D League back then. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the following season, I signed on with the Clippers.
1: Got it. And I'm curious on the like school side of it. Do you think that was valuable? Like, do you think that because there's a lot of debate, obviously, there's guys that come into college for a year now and go straight to the NBA and go to the NBA. You can't go straight anymore. But do you, are you happy you stayed in college? Was that helpful or do you think it was? I
2: had a, I had a great time. I mean, was it helpful? Obviously, I think it continued to develop my skill and, and develop me as a man. But, you know, college outside of having children was one of the best times of my life. I had an absolute blast yeah. in college. And you got to think back when I went to the NBA, it was that the average age was a lot older. You know, there were real vets and real older players. I want to say that the NBA is as young as it's ever been now. But, you know, back in the day, unless you were like a, you know, a lottery pick that really proved itself. Younger players kind of had to, you know, had to, uh, you know, wait their turn to to really get out there and and show their stuff. So obviously the game is a lot different now. Players are younger. They continue to get younger. Younger guys are getting thrown in the mix right then. But, you know, early 2000s, it was, you know, kind of a, you get drafted, pay your dues, learn the game, then be ready when you get your shot.
1: Yeah, and who initially drafted you was it the clippers and then you went back
2: uh, i was drafted by memphis and traded to cleveland on draft day so i went to training camp in cleveland uh-huh. uh, this was the year before lebron was drafted uh-huh. uh, and just really never got a chance john lucas was the head coach a lot of yelling a lot of talking but really never gave me an opportunity so i was cut early on and, and really had to not humble myself because i was never arrogant or cocky, but just like, I went from damn, okay, I'm drafted to now I'm in the D league or yep. you know, what kind of grind. And what kind of mentality are you going to pout? Or are you going to, you know, work your butt off to, to get back to, to, to where, you know, you belong.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so it only took you a year too, two, as you were saying, you went right to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. And so how was that feeling? Like the first time you stepped into a game on the Clippers, you were, it was real.
2: Yeah, it was amazing, you know, because I actually was uh, got a chance. My first game was against my hometown team, you know, the Sacramento Kings. It, it, it was dope, you know. I, I always wanted to be a, a king you know, that's back when, you know, they had Weber and Bibby and, you know, they were, they were battling the Lakers uh, in the Western conference. So, you know, to have my first game against them and I did fairly well, I want to say like eight points and eight rebounds. So my first taste of it was real. So from there, I did a 10 day there and got a second 10 day, and then I was signed for the season. And then, so my journey began.
1: That's amazing. And I'm curious on the emotional side, like you're playing against the Kings again, your childhood team, but you're also playing against guys that you've been watching your entire life because they've, you know, guys that are 10 years older than you, et cetera. How's that feeling? Like
2: being dope. on the court with those guys. It's dope, you know, but you, you kind of have to snap out of that awe. Yeah. You're kind of in awe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you're getting a chance to play. You know, the first time I played Kobe or, you know, playing against Chris Weber, you know, my very first game. So it's amazing. But at the same time, you got to kind of snap out of it because if you're not ready, they're going to bust your ass. You're going to be right back on the bench or out the league. So, you know, yeah. for a second, you're like, man, I'm here, but, you know, I'm here for a reason. I got to do my job. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so how long were you on the Clippers? How long did that? Oh, so I I did a year and this is where I kind of messed up and kind of started my, my bounce around journey. So I was supposed to sign after that first year, they wanted to sign me to a two year deal, which was, you know, for the minimum, At yeah. that time would have been good for me. But then that followed that summer, I went home and I was in Sacramento all summer working out with that Sacramento team. And, you know, every day in there with Bobby Jackson and Webb and those guys working my butt off and Sacramento actually offered me a deal too. So it was only a one-year deal, you know, compared to a two-year deal with the Clippers, but it was my hometown team. The Clippers were terrible at the time, and Sacramento was a really good team. So I accepted the deal to play at home, and then I was a part of the trade that sent Chris Weber to Philly. Got it. I went from consistently playing my first year with the Clippers where, you know, they were going to offer me a two year deal to come back to going to Sacramento and then being a part of trade that sent us to Philly. And then in Philly, I was there for almost two and a half years and and never really got a chance to play. So, uh, you know, after that time, I was just like, shit, you know, am I going to be able to, you know, make a team or or, or get an opportunity to play? And, you know, that 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 year after I left, left the 76ers, I had a uh, Baron Davis, my former UCLA teammate was uh, playing for the Warriors at the time.
1: He's been on the podcast, by the way.
2: (laughs) Okay, dope. That's my guy. Yeah. Uh, So I was actually at home in Sacramento, uh, and he called me up one day like, hey, you know, we have an open gym up here in Golden State if you want to drive down, come play. So it was only about an hour and a half drive. So I literally drove down, played really well in the pickup game, not knowing that Don Nelson, who was the head coach at the time, was up in his office and, and, and watched the whole uh, time we scrimmage. So he came down and kind of asked me what I was doing. And I told him I really didn't have a plan. You know, no teams had really come knocking. I had just come off of two years sitting on the bench in Philly. And he's just like, you know, if you come and play the way you play today, I can't promise you nothing, but I'll promise you that I'll give you an opportunity to prove yourself. And I was like, shit, that's all I need. So at the time they had 16 guys under contract and you only have 14 under contract plus they invited three more guys to camp so beat out the the, the training camp invitees and then had to beat out the guys they'd already signed under contract and uh, i was fortunate enough to do that and that's kind of really when i could, even though i was i came in the league in 02, mm-hmm. um, 06 was really when i kind of you know made myself a fixture in the league from that golden yep. state we believe team
1: that's awesome got it and so
2: how long did you play in golden state I was in Golden State three years, and then from there went to uh, another decision. Y- young, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you always—I don't know—you always hope for the best. But another situation arises where they offer me a three-year deal, but I was coming off a situation where I wasn't playing, and I had a really good season. So everyone's saying like, "Yo, you're—you should get." 20, 30 million, and this is when they're really getting the money out. And Golden State had only offered me a $12 million deal, and I'm saying only because I was thinking big picture. Right. right Well, 12 is only when you think 30. Right. You know, so yeah. I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe I have an opportunity to play. So I actually turned down that deal, which ended up being a bad idea and signed a, a one-year deal with Golden State. But that pissed off Nelly. Cause I, and I obviously looking back now, I'm older and I realized it. like Nelly kind of really gave me my first chance and I was able to come yeah. in and prove myself. So I, I, you know, looking back on it, he probably thought like this little motherfucker, I just gave you a chance. You, you did great. Now I want to give you 12 men and you want to turn that down. So yeah. I ended up turning that down. And that same season, my mom died oh, and Nelly and I butted heads and he didn't really play me at all that season at Got all, it. you know, so it was just kind of a, a tough, you know, losing my mom, not playing basketball is kind of a really tough space. But so that was the, the, the my last year in Golden State. And that was 2009? The 2007-8 season. Got it. And so what would you end up doing from there? From there, I went to Phoenix um, yep. a one-year audition. Played well there, but that was the year Amari got poked in the eye early in the season, and he had to wear goggles the rest of the season. And that was Mm -hmm. uh, the first year that team did make the playoffs. So didn't, you know, I want to say I averaged like 10 or 11 points there. Again, like I said, played well, but it just wasn't the fit. From there, went to Orlando. Again, same numbers, 10 or 11 points. We went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I was in a situation, you know talking with them about a two year uh, deal. And for some reason or not, it didn't work out. So then I was thinking this was the same time that LeBron and Bosch were headed to Miami. Mm-hmm. So I'm in Orlando talking to D Wade and Pat Riley, like, hey, you know, might as well just come up the freeway. You know, we got this, where we're building this great team. We're gonna be contending for championships. And I'm like, shit, I'm all for, it. you know, South Beach too. And then randomly yeah. during the summertime, I get a call from a, a number I don't know. And for people who know me, like I don't really even pick up numbers I do know, but for some reason, <laughs> the energy was telling me to pick this, this, this number up. And it fucking happened to be Kobe. Wow. This, this was the year that I ball faked him in Orlando uh, right before the playoffs. So he ends up calling me and I was, just I was in disbelief. Like, who is this? And he told me, I'm like, yeah, right. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> like, That's really Kobe. So we kind of start going back and forth. And he's just like, you know, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. Do you want to be a Laker? And I'm like, what? Like Lakers are my all time favorite team. You know, I grew up on the Showtime Magic Johnson teams. Yeah. And I'm like, absolutely. And I want to say like three or four days later, I was a Laker. Wow.
1: And so how did that feel? It sounds like you had kind of these, this roller coaster ups and downs, you were bouncing around a little bit. And then you feel like, did it feel like you had landed or like,
2: um, yeah, but no, you know, I I went there, this, they had won two championships in a row. So they were going for a three-peat my first year there. I mean, all signs are pointing to that. Uh, you know, I was consistently playing from either being a sixth man or starting, uh, getting a lot of minutes. And then I tore my, my only knee injury my whole career. I tore my knee that year. I tried to rush back and come back before the playoffs and it didn't really work. And then that was the same year that um phil jackson decided to step away because he found out he had cancer so that was phil's last year Mm -hmm. he got swept by dallas and then the following year mike brown came in and that was kind of like the beginning of the air the beginning of the end of kind of that laker era and that run they were on so you know, Mike Brown had a you know a different opinion. He wanted to go young, so he he was playing. Uh, actually, my young guy Devin Ebanks. Shout out Devin Ebanks. I'm not sure where he's playing now. He's overseas somewhere. Uh-huh. Like, he was really fascinated by Devin Ebanks and and started giving him, him him my minutes. And I ran into Chris Paul that summer and was working out with him. He was like, yo, you need to come here. And that's right when he got to the Clippers. Yeah. I'm like shit. Let's do it. I, you know, I'll go back to round two for the Clippers. So uh, mm-hmm. that's when I really kind of felt like I really made my mark. I felt like I did my thing, obviously with the We Believe team, and then with Phoenix, I averaged solid numbers. Orlando, I averaged solid numbers. Lakers, I played well. But when I went to that that Believe Clipper team, was really when I kind of, you know, I was a consistent starter. You know, I was a, a guy that was, you know, doing a lot of big things for the team, and that was the first time I kind of felt like, okay, like now I feel like I made it, and this is this is damn near eight or nine years in yeah you know, so it was just like okay i'm here we had a really good team mm-hmm. uh, that was we, a
1: fun team that was with griffin and stuff too right
2: blake deandre yeah. Miami, chris paul jamal crawford jj reddick yeah or uh, odom like we had a really good team a young eric bledsoe yep. um, but we just had too much ego you know we were our oh, yeah. own- enemy you know for the first time we won the division for the clippers we went first yep. time pacific division champs you know consistently winning 50 games a season but we you know we we, uh, we were our own worst enemy there were too many egos with some of our young players that kind of kept us from making that next step so from there i played there three years went to mm-hmm. memphis for a year which was a culture shock but still had a great time you know i was in la previously you know for, for the, the five or six years and to go from there to to memphis is like holy shit it's a little different. Yeah. When I first got to Memphis, I was kind of like, like, what is like, everyone is saying hello and hi and how are you? And I'm not, you, you know, from California, we really don't, we're not that yep. curious, you know, the yeah. I mean? North people were have a little bit more conversation for you, but I've been in Southern California since I was 18. So I was used to people just staring at you or looking at you and keeping <laughs> it moving. So these people are talking to me and I'm confused at first I was kind of quiet. And then I started realizing, Oh, this is what they call Southern hospitality. Like it was like really dope. So people were great. Uh, Food was great. You know, there was nothing out there in Memphis, so the the Grizzlies were everything. Uh, We made a nice run uh, in Memphis. You know, had a depleted team. That team got... I think we set the record for the most players that have been on one team. I want to say like we had 28 different guys on the team at one point that year because we had so many injuries. They were able to make the playoffs, lost to San Antonio in the first round. It didn't work out there for some reason. They had promised me a three-year deal. Chris Wallace, the GM, had promised me, I promised you did a great job. We're going to take care of you. We're going to give you a three-year deal. You can finish your career here. And I'm like, cool. I mean, it's not California, but, you know, I'm wanted. We have a solid team. I'm with it. And then free agency comes, and all of a sudden they sign Chandler Parsons, who's coming off, you know, microfracture surgery, and give him a bunch of money, and he's not able to play. So that situation blew up. I end up signing with my hometown team, Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, thinking I'm gonna sign, you know, I think it was a two-year with an option, sign there, and we retirement retire. I'm like, forget it. You know, Sacramento just got a new arena, new stadium, great fans. It's you know, not not we're obviously not contending for a title, but I definitely think this team can make the playoffs. We're in this uh you know we're, we're we're battling we're going into to uh the all-star break and the whole entire season like you know everyone's talking you know is, is boogie getting traded is demarcus cousins getting traded and i was kind of like the the boogie whisperer they like one article uh you know wrote about me so when i tell you like from the president to the gm to the head coach like everyone would tell me what they want to get to him because i guess <laughs> i had a way of getting it to him where he would you know kind of go with the flow so They're telling me, you know, reassure him he's not getting traded. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're, I think we're a game and a half out of the playoffs at All Star Break. And next thing I know, I'm on vacation for All Star Break. And I see during his press conference at the All Star game, he got traded. I'm like well, God, these people were just literally telling me the whole entire season tell them not worry tell them this tell them that tell them this so i'm telling them the shit because i'm like why why would they lie to us why would they lie yeah. to me why would they lie to yeah. him? so he ends up getting traded so i'm just like well damn like we like I said we were at a, a game out of the playoffs i'm just like i'm too old for to rebuild so i had a conversation with the uh, gm at the time vladi and uh we you know we both agreed that i didn't have the time to help them rebuild So we parted ways. They still had to pay me. And then I ended up going to Golden State and finishing out there and winning a championship in 2017. Yeah. Hell of a roller coaster. I was going to say, damn, man.
1: You know, I knew some of it. I had Clippers and Lakers tickets when you were playing there, so I got to see a lot of your games there. But, yeah, a lot of rotation, but still an awesome journey, I'm sure. Like, Would you change it
2: for anything? uh, I wouldn't change it from a standpoint of, you know, I got – To meet a lot of different people. And I really say that basketball is my audition for my second act because for me to be a role player my entire career and understand what that was about, you know. I'm not moving like a typical role player would move in my post-Caribbean, and I attribute that because I got a chance to meet so many different, whether it be players or owners of companies, you know, all the, yeah. I, I was always someone who was, you know, very talkative because I think everyone thought that I was one thing and I wasn't, you know, I was just yeah. a competitive dude, but I was labeled as a thug, a troublemaker, this, this, and that. So I really went out of my way to, to you know, to make relationships and, and do all the things they tell you to do as a player. So I, like I said, I got a chance to meet a lot of people, a lot of doors opened, and again, I wouldn't change as many... Any teams and the in the marathon I was on when I was playing because I don't think I would be successful as I am in my post career if I didn't get to move around and meet all those people.
1: Yep, no, it makes complete sense. So. Let's talk about that. You so you get out in 2017. And I know a little bit about this, but wait, did you know already what you wanted to jump into? Because you seem to start pretty seamlessly uh, right into it. Like-
2: I, mean, I, I, you know, I got lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. You know, I started, I, I played until I was 37. At about mm-hmm. 32, I was going through a divorce and I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I beat the odds. I, I, I'm 10 years in, there's no telling how much longer I'm going to play. Like, what am I going to want to do post-career? And, you know, luckily I kind of came to my senses because I don't think a lot of guys come to that until it's too late so you know i started investing here and there in in kind of things i like things my kids like and that's in 2000 what was that 32 2012 you know and five years later four years five years later like those things that i invested in kind of finally started turning so i you know happened to win a championship and then the business that i invested in is starting to show some return so do you, can you share what that is? I'm curious what company. Yeah, yeah, so it was I invested in a fresh press juice company with with a couple of buddies of mine in Sacramento. So now we have three stores. We actually just visited some locations in 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 uh, the Bay Area, so we're going to expand there with hopes to expand down to LA. Um, a couple other investments: a blanket company that that, that uh, a betting company that that did well, and then um, a couple movie projects that hit. And so, so things that, you know, things started to move. So I'm just like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can get the hang of this business thing. I was always a big cannabis, user uh, you know mm-hmm. I started smoking at about 14 so I knew cannabis was something I wanted to get into so I kind of started exploring that and I ended up partnering up with Seven Leaves that's based in my hometown so mm-hmm. you know it just kind of seemed like everything you know everything is about timing and it was kind of perfect timing for me to step away although I still could play like I said I had just signed a three-year deal at the beginning of that season so yeah I knew that I still had money coming in for the next two years. so I kind of gave myself like a two-year window, like, okay, let's, you know, let's, uh, uh, this is the next chapter in your life. Let's start studying up and reading up as much as you can and, and, you know, turn yourself from an athlete into a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, really kind of understanding like this is what's next. So you have a two-year window where you still have NBA money coming in, you know, that's kind of, establish and find yourself. And, you know, I was able to do that and continuing to open doors. You know, through that, I started doing ESPN and Fox, not really even understanding that, you know, I didn't really want to go to the media side. They just, you know, you're really well spoken. You should give this a try. So I started doing it. And then, uh, you know, my my former teammate, Steven Jackson, started doing it and we were both getting good feedback. Like, hey, you know, we like your guys's, you know, unwatered down views and you're unapologetic and you guys should try to do something together. We're like, you know, what can we do together? And I was just like, you know, you want to do a podcast? And he's just like, yeah. What's a podcast? I was like, I don't really know, <laughs> but I know us and, and kind of be us, you yeah. know, working for ESPN and Fox. And obviously, you got to stick to the script when you're, you know, you're you're dealing with those major networks. So he's like, yeah, let's do it. So I kind of started doing my homework on that, and I actually did a I did a documentary for Showtime on DeMarcus Cousins. I was someone that they interviewed, and when I was done getting interviewed, the producer's like, hey, I heard you want to start a podcast, and I'm just like, eh, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of still learning what a podcast is, but you know, I'm definitely interested. And they're like, we need to talk to Showtime. They're starting a Showtime basketball division and, you know, you'd probably be great. So I listened to him. He hooked me up with the people. I went in and pitched my idea with no sizzle or no nothing, just kind of my vision and what I saw this show to be. And he's like, let's do it. And, uh, you know, we we didn't really know we had, but we ended up, you know, striking gold. Our first year, we won sports podcast of the year. We beat out... Bill Simmons and, and Colin Cowherd and, and Barstool and all those major publications have kind of had a stronghold on the podcast space. You know, Stephen Jackson and I kind of came in just winging it and ended yeah. up winning sports podcast of the year. So, now, you know, now we're in our second season and we've been nominated for several more awards. So that was kind of something that, you know, my post career, if I'd be surprised at anything, it would be kind of just my rise in this media space because media was you know when as a player there's always a handful i I don't want to disrespect anyone when you come to a handful of people you trust in the media but for the most part players don't really mess with the media you know what i mean necessarily something as a player i'm like oh i want to cross over and be in the media because i didn't but uh it kind of came to me and i was fairly good at it and and now i'm really kind of starting to build a lane for myself in this media space And I also,
1: you became pretty outspoken about like cannabis not being taboo in the NBA too, right?
2: Yeah, I was, you know, like I said, I was someone who, I guess you can say risked my career, but, you know, I I had it down to a science where, you know, I literally smoked my whole entire career and I just knew that, you know what I had to do to, to, to make that happen but it was almost like a full-time job because I was you know someone I would have the football player mindset so I never missed games unless I like really had surgery which was a knee surgery I had outside of that I would tough everything out but I was someone who also wasn't I would I would socially drink but I couldn't handle painkillers like whenever you know if I would break a finger, they take this, take that, and that shit would just tear my stomach up. So I would take it, feel like shit, and then I would just smoke. I'm just like, fuck it, I'm not taking that. I'm just going to smoke. So, you know, like I said, and I wasn't the only one. You know, I knew yeah. there were a lot of guys that, that actually did it. So, you know, once I retired, I was someone who kind of wanted to be a shield for guys that I knew were medicating in the league because... I did get caught twice, uh, never ended up getting suspended. I just had to have had these small fines. But, you know, talking to the to, to, to one of the guys that ran the program and, you know, there's a, you know, 400 plus players in the NBA and we were talking when I was just like, well, how many players are in here for weed? And he's like, Matt, probably over 200. he's like, every everyone from superstars to rookies. And I started thinking like half the league is in the drug program for cannabis, yet they want to pump us full of all these opioids. Yeah, seriously. I don't care if we smoke cigarettes, but they want to find us. So I always, I always kind of stayed in the back of my mind. So I knew once I retired that I needed to to advocate for it because it wasn't for me anymore. You know, obviously my time was up, but I knew a lot of my brothers are still in there playing and, you know, some of the best players in the league were in that program, but still dominating. So I was just like, you know, one of these days people are going to find out like your favorite player, you know, he may medicate and he's still great. He's still winning MVPs or winning finals MVPs, winning championships, but there was such that negative stigma on cannabis that I really worked hard to kind of shake that, you know, so I executive produced a piece called Bleach Report 420. Mm-hmm. The first time ever, there was, I want to say five or six former NBA players and five or six former NFL players on television smoking weed, but explaining to the world why we use it. You know, yep. what our schedules like, the kind of pain we're in, the kind of focus we need to have. So everyone was giving their different reasons because, as you know, cannabis, you know, it hits everyone different. And yep. you know people were using different tactics to consume it, and I just thought it was such a beautiful thing because, like I said, there was always such a stigma. If you, if you do this, you're going to be a loser. You're going to this yep. a for other things. And there there you are. You have these one percent professional athletes, you know, saying, "Hey, I use cannabis my whole career, and this was why. It wasn't to get high. It wasn't for show. It was because I had ten botched knee surgeries, or I couldn't sleep, or I couldn't focus, or I couldn't eat, or you know, the anti-inflammatory or the anti-inflammatory components of it. So there were so many different reasons, rhyme and reasons behind. I was like, "Yo, we really got something here." So that really made a lot of noise, and that was kind of like my, my entrance into the cannabis space. You know, after that, I signed. I was the first athlete to sign a, an endorsement deal with Raw. So then I started promoting, you know, th- their products, and then mm-hmm. shortly after that, I teamed up with Seven Leaves and and mm-hmm. and started pushing that. And you know, here we are. You know, four years later, where, you know, we were myself, Al Harrington, so there's some other guys that we were talking to the NBA Players Association and talking to the NBA kind of like, you know, you don't have to listen to our, our stories anymore. You know, there's medical research backing up what we're saying now, so just do your homework. So we're in there yep. kind of pressing the envelope in the line with the NBA, you know, pressing them to do their homework. Uh, the Players Association got on it, and they started doing their research, and like, hey, you know, we agree with you. You know, there are definitely some benefits. The NBA was like, nah, we still don't agree. So the NBA had their doctors doing their research, and they finally kind of came to a, a middle ground understanding that there are some benefits from it and you know last year in, in the bubble they decided for the first time not to test and then this past and they didn't test either. So, you know, I have to say that we may have had a small part of kind of changing the ideas, you know, in the NBA. And, and like I said, it, it's for the betterment of my brothers, you know, because like I yeah. said, it was a full-time job trying to smoke and play because, you know, in the NBA, you get four random tests. So, you know, I could have had a tough day today at practice and come home and smoke a joint. And then I show up to practice tomorrow and I'm I'm, I'm taking a test, you know yeah. what I mean? But like you really had to do a lot of planning and have some ins and outs to, yeah. to really be able to pull it off. So now I'm glad that that's just kind of one less worry that uh nba players have you know yeah.
1: and it's just as you said like the idea of like the alternative being alcohol and opioids and all these things that are so much worse for you yeah. in every way like it's just crazy that we've it's thankfully it seems to be going in the right direction but it's crazy that for so long it's been so taboo so two more questions for you well, next one is what's next you obviously have this media career going you've got the cannabis stuff the investing like where do you see yourself you know you're still very young so
2: yeah uh i'm I'm learning the stock market you know uh, time was over yesterday while we were watching the game kind of giving me a crash course giving me the ins and outs about amc and all this (laughs) all this kind of stuff going on so i'm learning that uh you know i'm invested in tech now obviously the media space has taken off for me actually just inked my first project we're all pre-producing and starring in for showtime and lionsgate so it's kind of it's called the, the education of matt Barnes. so it's a loosely based on my life you know kind of my transition from professional athlete to single father of three, super dad, businessman, cannabis entrepreneur, finding love. You know, So that'll nice. be a show that we start uh, shooting at uh, hopefully the end of the summer for Showtime. So I got a, a lot of different stuff in the content space. Actually, my first uh, movie that I EP comes out June 11th. It's called The House Next Door, Meet the Blacks 2. So it's a, a comedy yeah. that will be in uh, theaters nationwide. So really enjoying the content and, and creation space um, on that side. Lots of cannabis ventures that, that I'm embarking on right now. A couple deals that are hopefully close to being done that I'll be able to talk about soon, but continuing to push and advocate for cannabis, continuing to advocate uh you know for the social equity side of it i'm senior advisor over at ease for the moment
1: we're working with them
2: Okay, dope. Yeah, uh, It's funny because I had just asked, all right, so you guys are working, you're doing yeah. the media side for them. Yep. I literally had just asked someone like, and I forgot to follow up on it because when you asked me, I'm like, damn, Eric, hit me. I'm like, I want to work with you guys somehow. I was like, you can do it. So I actually literally, I got to go back and check my email. So I'm glad you guys are doing that because I was going to try to hook us up with you guys. So that's dope. So doing the senior advisor over there, working on some social equity stuff. Chris Weber just launched a hundred million dollar cannabis fund. So he and I are up in this cannabis space and giving you know minorities some opportunity in here, um, awesome. big in the political realm, uh, you know, did a lot of stuff leading up to this last election. You know, possibly run for mayor of my hometown, you know, when I turned 50, okay. one of my goals, so I'm 41 now. So I'm literally all over the place. But first and foremost, you know, really just enjoy being a father of three boys. Uh, I coach my twins that are 12. And then I also have a two year old that you just heard a little bit ago coming you know, down. Um, really <laughs> just kind of sitting back, you know, the one thing that I, you know, fortunately, through this pandemic, you know, I didn't lose anyone, mm-hmm. everyone stayed healthy, but it was the first time since I was 18. And I'm 41 now that I really kind of just got to sit down and kind of take a look like, man, you just worked your ass off for the, the, the last half of your life. Yeah. And you kind of finally, like I said, although the world was kind of, you know, shook upside down, luckily my family and friends have stayed safe. So it was kind of like first time for me to kind of just sit down and just, okay, like recharge your batteries. Yep. Refocus. You got to come out of this better than when you went into that. And I can definitely say I did that. So really just enjoying life, man. Uh, I, I busted my ass for a long time, yeah. I worked as hard as I could to give my kids a good life. And now I'm just really reaping the benefits of, of being a solid stand-up, loyal dude, uh, a man of his word, you know, someone yeah. who, who stands on his principles principles and you know that the business world is continuing to to bless me and, and and open doors that I would never thought that someone like me would, would, would get be privy to but like I said I think because of who I am and what I stand for people really give me a shot and I've you know really been trying to take advantage of those opportunities
1: and that I think that's what's important if you're a person of your word and you you know and you take advantage of it I mean I think the, the, a lot of people let it pass by so I think jumping into it's also great so yeah. last question for you for the person listening to this that wants to pursue their dreams, that wants to go after something, get after it, whatever that might be, what would be that one piece of advice that you don't think they've heard?
2: Man, you just got to believe in yourself. and I, I You know, it's kind of cliche, but at the same time, I think so often we validate who we are off of what other people say you know, like, or you're not going to be able to do this, or you can't do this, or that can't be done, but really anything can be done, you know what I mean? So yep. I, I would say, you know, obviously utilize, as you just spoke, utilize your connection, utilize your network, and then if you want it, you got to go get it, you know, nothing is really going to be given to you, so continue to grind, but I would just really say, believe in yourself, because, uh, you know, if, if everyone stopped every time someone said, you can't do this, or no, that that's wrong, or this, nothing would would, would be accomplished, and I think so many, you know, we're, we're as, as human beings, we're super creative and intelligent, and like I said, you grow, and you believe in something, make that shit happen. Amen. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, No doubt, man. Good luck and congratulations on your show. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one.
0: Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you, too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast playlist. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.